Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed. I'm Ken Mapsa. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw, and this is one of our news and cues episodes. The Q stands for questions, and the news stands for news, which makes sense. It doesn't save you any time saying it, but it makes sense. Uh, it's always got four great questions. And Ken, we have so many newses. A lot of news. A lot of news is news is breaking when you least expect it or uh, add ons to the news that already broke. Uh, Star Wars news is as uh, now you've uh, 
that in my brain is uh, is so good and and a lot of fun speculation out of it. No problem doing that uh, when you, the news sometimes doesn't even have all the answers. It's even fun. Yeah, sometimes the news is also the cues. <laughs> That's some deep Star Wars philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Before we get to all of that, we will remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash force center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. A little bit later, we'll have a Force Center Recommends, an audiobook we think you should try out on us. But that's not all, Joseph. That's right. We are really excited to have a another offer to make. I am, like legitimately excited because i really like the books from this company inside editions a publisher of a ton of great star wars books secrets of the jedi the lightsaber collection that we discussed uh, recently on the main show uh, the galaxy's edge cookbook a bunch of other great books they are offering 35 percent off across their website with a special force center cl- code and this excludes uh, collectibles limited edition products and already discounted products but there are a ton of great star wars books to grab this offer lasts until friday january 8th at midnight pacific time and you can get your discount to by entering the code fc35 or visit the website with this specific link insighteditions.com slash discount slash fc35 again that's insighteditions.com slash discount slash fc35 so you can uh, fc35 your way to some holiday joy uh ken what are your thoughts on the inside editions books that we've checked out I just, I love what they put out. I really, really do. I'm staring at the Lifesaver Collection one as I speak. And uh, one of the things about that book that I, we talked about it when you and I dove into it on the show, it's so beautiful and designed. And I love Star Wars coffee table books. I think a lot of people do. It's an affliction we all have. <laughs> those kind of books you can just pick up and look into, oh, the Battle of Ryloth. Yes, here's the thing about it. Or this lightsaber or this cookbook or a Christmas book or a Star Wars holiday book. Like there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And uh, we're happy to be uh, working with them on this uh, discount. Yeah, yeah. We uh, There's a great coffee book, which kind of brings Star Wars uh, into your life in a different way to just flip through and look at the lightsabers and the cookbooks, which is a different way to kind of bring Star Wars uh, into your life and your home. Uh, I also just can never say enough good things about Secrets of the Jedi. Uh, I, I bought mm. it for some holiday presents again for some uh, friends and relatives. It is uh, it is it's an information book about Jedi and Sith and the Force. It's kind of a, a catch you up, but it's done with such flavor, such great perspective of Luke basically go, writing it, these thoughts down right after Ray left the uh, island on Octo and uh, Secrets of the Jedi. If you haven't checked it out, I really think that one's worthwhile. Yeah, I consider these books now and, and back in the day when they started coming on out. Uh, uh, Podcasts before there was podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. So uh, again, that's FC uh, 35. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, enthuse about these books that we really enjoy. Uh, that's it for that, though, Ken. Shall we move yeah, on to uh, Star Wars Life Adventures? Star Wars and Life Adventures and all of it, uh, sir. It's been, a, 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 it's the end of a year unlike any other. Uh, and the holidays can bring their own kind of stress. But uh, how you doing? And if you had any, have any Star Wars fun? Uh, you know, my only Star Wars adventures, honestly, has been staring out the window, <laughs> which, <laughs> which uh, sounds on my mopey and pensive. But no, it's uh, I really so enjoyed uh, that season finale of of Mandalore uh, of the Mandalorian. There's uh, so many uh, great ideas in it. Uh, this is a whole spoiler open <laughs> zone. We're, we're talking full spoilers of the Mandalorian uh, if you're not caught up. So beware. But, you know, everything that Luke Skywalker means, 
uh, in his appearance, different perspectives on it, different lines, different nuances, uh, the full emotional weight of uh, Din and Grogu and their relationship and their past and their future. And uh, I think the culture's relationship with the show The Mandalorian. There's been so much to think about. My honest Star Wars adventure has been like, should I pick up a new book or a comic book and should I go buy an action figure? And this has been a strange time. We're just like, I have limited time uh, right now. So in between the work that I need to do and holiday stuff and, you know, family stuff, I have been taking some moments to like literally just like stand on my balcony or stare out the window and just let myself think about Star Wars. <laughs> or or drink and think. Yeah, the old drink and think. That's it's you know that's really that's what they had to do in oldie times for fun. Is just drink and think, and I, uh, I enjoy both. There's Scrimshaw again doing the old drink and think. <laughs> I should do a podcast just called Drink and Think. That is no speaking. You just hear me sipping every once in a while and know that I'm thinking about something. I like that. I'm I'm all for that. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, no real new big life adventures uh, or specific Star Wars adventures. It it really has been just letting, uh, giving myself the time to let some of the great Star Wars storytelling that's that's just come out and is on the way just uh, sink in. But I know you have had uh, some life adventures. Yeah, life life adventures and and life challenges and and. Happy to discuss them, happy to share the joys and the pains and all of it. Uh, and first of all, just to start, let's talk about Star Wars. You know, it's a big weekend for Star Wars. We're coming off of it. And and, and you and I can, can you know, we, we discuss it all the time and we're sometimes online about it. And and I particularly can get grumpy about it. I've, I've muted all the Star Wars words. And I have, and I stand by that. But also, it kind of makes me sad that, I, that I've chosen to do that. But this is a week of Star Wars joy. And, and, and you and I have been focusing on that and talking about The Mandalorian. But, uh, you know, it's not just Twitter or social media or the podcast world. I've had friends reach out who don't really watch Star Wars. Or one friend I haven't heard in a year and a half just texted me yesterday to be like, hey, that Mando thing. And look, I, I, I love that the Mandalorian has done that. I love when anything Star Wars does that, brings out that kind of joy. It's so, no secret that you and I love to celebrate Star Wars in that way. And, and that's been part of the fun of this weekend, even while I was dealing with some stuff. Uh, to just kind of uh, have that conversation going for, with people. Uh, again, uh, people who don't talk about Star Wars all the time, making sure they reach out to me and go, man, I got a question about that. Oh, God, can you believe that? And that's a great thing. That's a great thing to hold on to uh, as Star Wars fans. So, you know, for me, that was a big thing this weekend, too. Yeah, absolutely. I have a friend of mine who's, who's a fellow writer in Los Angeles. Uh, it knows that I, I spent a lot of time talking about Star Wars. So uh, it kind of broke the seal. And like I started going like, oh, no, is, is Grogu going to be OK? Is Ben Solo going to kill him? <laughs> Talk me down. <laughs> and so, yeah, one of my friends, uh, he goes, does it, does, I mean, this means Kylo kills him, right? I'm like, no, no, that doesn't necessarily mean, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's talk this through. Um, years and years of storytelling yet to, to, to tell us the fate of Grogu. Nothing is sealed. Nothing is sealed. Uh, but yeah, and the other thing, no secret, if you've followed me online or you've been listening to my um, silly ramblings on all things uh, media and pop culture the last few years, uh, you probably know uh, uh, my girlfriend and Grace and I uh, lost our, our, uh, one of our pets, one of our dogs this week, our, our little Ratsy, who actually just was on the show a couple weeks ago. I, she was so sick, I had to hold her in my arms the entire episode. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, we sent her, sent her to the other side in the best way possible uh, and, and did what was right and all those kind of 
things. Um, but uh, this is part of the reason the episode was delayed this week. Uh, publicly, just thank uh, you, Joseph, for your support and and, and uh, being able to switch the schedule around meant a lot as we um, dealt with it. And it wasn't necessarily expected to be the day it was, but we we made the choice after all. Um, so sad and all those things. Uh, it, it hurts and loss of any kind, loss of any kind, pet, human, job, relationships, anything. Loss is so just... A, part of life, whether we want to be or not. And, and I have absolutely um, taken some comfort and wisdom from Star Wars this, this weekend as it was happening. Um, though I, I will admit, I, I don't think I can watch chapter 16 of the Mandalorian for a while um, uh, because of the, what that episode I've been talking about it, but I, I don't know if I can watch it right now. Yeah. Um, and it just, it just hit, it hurts. It hurts more than I expected. And I expected it to be every amount of pain uh, in the world. But um uh, it's just so great that uh, oh here comes the tears. Uh, it's so great that Star Wars uh, just really the silly little stupid thing that we all debate about. Oh God, it just uh, it just finds you when you need it. That Carl Weathers Disney Gallery speech moves me more often than I even admit. Of man, Star Wars was speaking to me my whole life, but it it, it finds you. And I'm paraphrasing, but it finds you when when you're ready for it or when you need it. And all the things, the luminous beans are we, and no one's ever really gone. Those bumper sticker t-shirt catchphrases, ah, damn, man, they really are there for a reason. And that's why George did this. And uh, I'm so thankful to talk about Star Wars. And I needed this today. I'm, I am a, a little bit of a get back in the studio and get working type of person when it comes to grief. Um, um, but this little creature was with us every day. Um Grace for 16 years and, and, and with the lockdown, it just, it, and, and her health, it just literally 24 hours a day, she was in our arms. So it really hurts. It really hurts. But, um, I will always find uh, purpose and meaning and, and comfort in, in Star Wars. And I just, it felt right for me to talk about his day and share that journey with all of you. So that's, what's going on with me. Uh, um, and, um, a dreadful, a dreadful thing, a, th- a thing we we're dreading, but, uh, peace and purpose, Oh, I got to tell you, that's, um, that is new meaning to me now for this little creature that did so much in her life for us, for, for her, for Grace and, and, and me towards the end for the last four or five years. So uh, that's it, man. I, I love you, Joseph, and your support. <laughs> it means a lot. It really does. I don't want to, I'm not going to grandstand here, but silly little things in, these, in this, in a year of distance, the, the connections that are there mean now uh, more than ever. Um, that includes you, sir, and, and, and Jennifer and this podcast community and, uh, and that silly little space franchise. So happy to be here. That's, that's where we're at. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate uh, your kind words, and, and I am so sorry for your loss, but I am yeah. happy for uh, the ideas, you know, that – that are in yeah. Star Wars and the ideas that that we have fun talking about and exploring and being open to that have been able to to help in a difficult time and I think that is to me that's you know that's the power one of the many powers of Star Wars but it's also just the the power of storytelling is is we do this weird absurd thing of making up stories about you know space wizards and you know little green puppets uh so that we can reflect on who we are, who we want to be, how we want to handle specific challenges. And I think it's, it's really great uh, to hear that, that you are looking to those specific moments, those specific ideas uh, to help you move forward. Cause uh, I think for me, that's, that's uh, one of the, one of the important things about 
uh, Star Wars and how we talk about art is is that we try yeah. to do it with kindness and empathy. I I remember um, like my the the first time I truly experienced loss was my childhood uh, poodle passing away, and I yeah. always always remember. Uh, you know, I was in eighth grade and, you know, I, you didn't go to the guidance counselor often. It was just sort of like, what high school do you maybe want to go to? Or I think I had like one elective in eighth grade to choose from. But he was just kind of one of those sensitive, uh, just kind of cool older people. And he had that like, I'm a guidance counselor, anything, anything going on. And I just I couldn't hide it. And I blurted out that my my poodle died. And I, I had felt in our larger culture that. Yeah, animals were cool, but that that was not a thing to go to school and say I'm sad. That like everybody would think you're weak or a weirdo if you're like I, you know, I I I'm upset because my poodle passed away. Um, right. And yeah. I always remember that counselor going, "Well, that's huge. That matters. Tell me about you know, tell me about Dusty, your poodle." And I always just remember that that person choosing that guidance counselor who I that's the second time I'd ever spoken to him just choosing empathy and kindness and choosing to validate, you know, the perspective that I'd grown up with that the pets are a part of the family and they truly matter. Um, and I, I think that's, it's just one of those uh, nice life experiences that, uh, helps me connect with how I want to try to be in the world, which is if you can lead with empathy and and kindness and understanding to try to do that. So uh, I'll shout out a thanks to my eighth grade guidance counselor. Hey, uh, and, and to, uh, and to Dusty too. Cheers, <laughs> cheers, cheers. Um, that's great. And, and, uh, yeah. So, um, man, this, uh, turns out this, uh, Star Wars thing we invest in is, uh, it's pretty damn powerful. It really is. It really is. And, and, uh, last thing that, that I'll, uh, say about it is I've been thinking a lot about all of the different, we got a great question a while back of like, can you boil down, you, you talk about all these great ideas, but can you boil down Star Wars to what is like, what are the main ideas? Uh, and we rattled through a lot, but one that I've been thinking about when I stare out the window is, uh, you know, I think Star Wars is, it's about these contrasts between light and dark and fear and hope and letting go versus clinging. But one that's just really important to me is is absurd and profound. And I think that's sometimes where we can find this this weird joy of Star Wars can be the deepest thing in the world that helps us through the most difficult times uh, but you're saying like I can't I can't watch the show right now where the man in the armor gives up the puppet, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And there's something extra beautiful that that this beauty uh, and this yeah. just depth of idea can come from something that is also silly and weird and joyful on the surface. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh God bless it. Yeah, yeah. Four Center, well said. And again, big, <laughs> big thanks to your support as, as a friend and podcast partner. Absolutely. And, and condolences on your loss. Oh, yeah. Little Ratsy. All right. Okay. I've come here for some fun, too. And we're going to discuss some Star Wars news. And this one, Joseph, I actually might need your help getting through here because uh, I was a little tied up when this kind of <laughs> broke <laughs> Yesterday. Uh, yes, obviously, the end of Mandalorian Chapter 16 uh, gave us uh, some questions, created some questions. The Book of Boba Fett. What does that mean? Mandalorian Season 3. What did Kathleen Kennedy say uh, back on the Investor Day? Well, thanks uh, thanks to the fine folks at Good Morning America. They helped us all get some clarification. Joseph, if you don't mind, uh, take us through what, what happened here when Jon Favreau 
showed up to say hello to America. That is right. John Favreau was very briefly on Good Morning America. Even in the conversation, one of the hosts of Good Morning America reminded us all that he works for Disney. So this was... <laughs> This was not an interview with John Favreau. This was a uh, a brief press release uh, from John Favreau that kind of moved like an interview. But it was really fun on uh, when you watch it. Uh, John Favreau is very much he he gives the information that he's teed up to give, and he's uh, he's asked a question about Luke Skywalker, and he starts go getting into it, and they interject like, "Oh, we're running out of time. Could you plug this thing?" <laughs> and everybody in the YouTube comments are like, "What was he going to say about Luke Skywalker?" Losing their mind. Uh, but Favreau was in front of uh, a Mando, Grogu, and I believe IG-11 Tiki mugs with awesome. great, great background. The big news was that he confirmed that the book of Boba Fett is its own show and that it was held back from being announced on Disney Investor Day for the sake of that cool reveal in Chapter 16 of The Mandalorian. Uh, they also revealed the logo. I'm sure people have seen it on social media. It's very cool. Uh, Boba Fett green. Uh, And the other kind of hardcore information, Boba Fett is in production right now for a December release. And uh, Favreau confirmed that that's the next chapter that Kathleen Kennedy referred to in the Disney Investor Day. You know, she said around Christmas. The release now is saying around December. But that seems to confirm that Book of Boba Fett coming out in uh, December of 2021. And then Favreau also confirmed that Mandalorian season three, which he described as being back with the guy we all know and love, I believe, meaning Din Djarin, is in pre-production right now that goes into production right after Boba Fett, uh, I believe, finishes production. And then uh, Favreau said uh, Mandalorian season three will premiere pretty soon following that and i believe he means that being boba fett's show so i think the kind of the picture is uh book of boba fett we don't have confirmation on the length but december 2021 and then hopefully relatively soon after that is mandalorian season three with din jaren another little bit of news that he just dropped that he said that dave filoni is writing ahsoka right now so that kind of gives us a hint about where it is in production and that dave filoni is alone in a room <laughs> yeah. uh, coming up with the uh, the ahsoka story um mm-hmm. so ken uh, uh, any reactions to that just all that information all that clarification yeah i, I mean i appreciate the clarification and and i don't i love a little mystery First of all, it made me think if this if Disney Investor Day hadn't been a streaming event that was watched by the world and had just been a regular call, Iger probably would have said, uh, "Coming up on Friday, you're going to see Boba Fett at the end of the show, and it's going to lead to it's going to be great." <laughs> it would have been like, "What?" So hey, I'm glad they held back. Uh, I'm excited. I, I it gives um you know I've been talking on on the Mandalorian report and and uh, after Chapter 16 of I feel as though Din Djarin's two season emotional arc is is complete. And I was like, I'd be okay if in a way, if that was the end, however, I'm not okay. I want more. And so to just cut, get that little confirmation of the next chapter of his life going forward, following um, this, uh, this, what he's learned and taken from Grogu and, and this loss and, and the power of it, all those kind of deep philosophical things. I want to know more plus things like Gideon, the dark saber and all those things that will tie into Rangers, the new Republic Ahsoka or whatever this Filoni Favreau verse is going to be. So that kind of makes me excited. Uh, and yeah, Filoni in a room writing Ahsoka. Uh, I love that, man. I, 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 sometimes I know we, we seem to needle the man in the cowboy hat. At least I do. I don't want to speak for you, but it's out of, 
out of kind of uh, the myth that he has become to so many people. But I think this is a, a guy who just loves Star Wars and loves these characters and wants to tell these great stories. And I'm glad he's getting the opportunity. And uh, it's part of uh, what he's credited Kathleen Kennedy with doing, of, of not just investing in the idea, but the creators and their plans uh, for their careers and stories as well. And I think that's important to know. So, yeah, I'm excited. Good stuff. I, and, I, and I want a Grogu Tiki, tiki mug. <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, uh, yeah, I think the, the Dave Filoni is writing Ahsoka right now. And just the general information that Favreau, Filoni, uh, Robert Rodriguez announced as, as the third producer on the book of Boba Fett. So another creator in the mix. There, there's just kind of a thrill to... You know, we're having fun in Star Wars discussion world. Uh, you know, it's, there's we've talked about it briefly, Ken. Maybe we'll talk about it more of like, where exactly is Ahsoka at in her journey when we see her in Chapter 13 of the Jedi? Have uh, have she and Luke connected yet? And, and if so, how did that impact them? Or have they not connected yet? And that's a beat coming up. It's really fun to know that all these creators are, are thinking about those things right now. In that they're building to something, you know, a lot of times in Star Wars, something will kind of get thrown out and then you're like, well, maybe a book will follow up on that. Maybe a TV show will follow up on that. Maybe a movie will follow up on that in 15 years. (laughs) And it's fun to be in this different place where they're playing with all these characters in the same time period. And a lot, I think the answers uh, and the ideas and the connections that we're hungry for will be coming in the next several years. That's great. That's great. Yeah. What a time. What a time. What, what a time. time. Yeah. So that's the other thing I want to talk about in this news is, you know, we got that huge uh, amount of content announced in the Disney Investor Day and conversations about is that uh, too much Star Wars? Uh, but now we're right back in that place where, oh, man, a year until Book of Boba Fett. And then we have to wait even longer for Mando yeah. season three. Um, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about, uh, you know, there's a ton of Star Wars coming, but right now we do kind of have to wait for the next bits. Absence makes the heart grow fonder? Question mark. Yeah, no, it's it it does suck. I, I mean, it also is it uh, it's, it's this weird kind of demarcation of time where I just remember for walking out of the first viewing of, of Force Awakens and being like, oh my god, I have to wait two years to find out. <laughs> two years, even though years passed, I'd wait I'd wait three or you know thought I'd never see it again. Uh, so unfortunately time will move too fast and it'll be here before you know it. But I, I do, I do like, uh, I do like the, the pacing and, and again, that we're going to get so much. And it is, it is, I, I, you could give me a new star Wars show every, you know, eight weeks, uh, you know, a, a show, eight weeks, a break for two weeks and a new show. Like you literally could just give me two weeks to catch my breath for the rest of uh, my days. And I, and I would be okay. Cause I love this stuff. Um, but that's, you know, if you, if you love it, you love it. I, 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 you know, look at uh, uh, folks who, who love Marvel and I know you're one of those folks. And it's like three movies a year was nothing. Give me five. Uh, give me five of these things. If you love it, you love it. And so I'm excited just and it's, uh, you know, just a test of patience. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, along those lines, uh, got an email from a publicist uh, at Disney uh, laying out the sheer volume of uh, of Disney uh, Marvel Lucasfilm content. And one of the fun tidbits is not only is there, you know, a lot of uh, MCU movies, but a lot of the uh, MCU Disney Plus shows are arriving next year. Uh, but it had break uh, uh, Bad Batch listed mm. as 2021 which i don't know if i had seen that before i just pulled up that email um Not- first of all I, as a Beatle fan i just can't wait to 
see Peter Jackson's uh, get back film. Um, yeah, 20. Okay. I was, I wasn't, for some reason I wasn't expecting bad batch this year or this coming year. Yeah. I, great. I wasn't sure about it, but then when the Disney investor day, when we saw a lot of completed animation, I was like, Ooh, Ooh. So I'm really looking forward uh, to that. So uh, we'll have that uh, new star Wars content to talk about very soon. Ken, I want to talk just a little bit because uh, we'll have plenty of time to do it. But now that it's officially announced, now that we know that Book of Boba Fett is its own thing, how does that uh, shape your speculation on what you want Book of Boba Fett to be and what do you expect at Amando season three? Well, I mean, the easiest one might be Mando season three is, uh, again, we keep talking about this, you know, uh, kind of emotional step forward to a wide open future or a new direction or seeking where he belongs. And what is the empty nest syndrome, Mando? You know, I can wrap my head around that. I think a little easier as well. You know, uh, Bo-Katan, Darksaber, Gideon. And 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 what if Carson Teva does show up in Rangers and Mandalorian season three? I can vision that a little bit easier. Even though I don't have plot predictions in my head, I can just kind of see that going forward. Book of Boba Fett, especially with what we got this season which you and i have discussed we both really kind of love what they did even though we didn't get the uh, you know the the campsite campfire conversation between bo katan uh mando and boba fett about identity and mandalorian culture we didn't get that uh sipping spotchka o- over you know drinking thinking with them <laughs> uh, we got it in a different way in you the confirmation room fight yeah room fight and boba fett's inherent uh violence and what he's out here for and I don't know. The one thing he's focusing on is his little, uh, I never said I was a Mandalorian, which that even may or may not be true. It's just his point of view. And you, you and I have, uh, I, I thought, uh, really discussed a good thing of just the idea that he's Boba Fett and he serves Boba Fett. And now he's going to take that and rule for Boba Fett. <laughs> I mean, and five years after, is he here to set up a criminal underworld? Is he just here to rule? Uh, you know, he and Fennec Shan, what is their, um, you know, relationship uh, working together? Uh, she's indebted to him for saving him. Um, she has a different point of view. We keep highlighting her saving uh, and freeing the the Twilight uh, dancing girl. That's a that's a pretty different point of view, maybe than what was at the castle before. So, are we going to get an inner workings of a redesigned Boba Fett's palace, uh, or who's going to be threatened by him? Uh, and is it a criminal underworld story? I think all that will work, but I like this idea of uh, the book of Boba Fett is because Boba Fett is concerned with Boba Fett. Yeah, I I love everything you're saying. Um, I love the confirmation of Mandalorian season three and that it is, you know, perhaps intertwined, but certainly separate from book of Boba Fett. And uh, the more I sit and think about where Din was left of like that one, uh, one door closes and another one opens up and, and the interesting rhythms between he had this journey with Grogu where he he couldn't leave him behind, but he he didn't know what to do with him or how to help him. And then even once he became attached to him, it was like, how, how do I best help you? Um, are you my child or are you just a mission, a quest, you know, something to point me in a direction and give me purpose? And obviously he loves the kid uh, that, that comes across clear and is the emotional story. But then there's this interesting the thing of of he's got he now he has this new burden that he's kind of in that same place with uh obviously grogu is a adorable sentient being and that's not the dark saber but from din's uh perspective he he's starting in a little bit of that same place of like i now have a a quest that i don't know what to do with you know and a and a burden that i 
that I respect, but I don't yet have an emotional connection to, but I probably will quickly. Mm. I just think there's so much interesting to it for him to explore with having that dark saber as his, his new quest, you know, uh, whatever it means, you know, his, his quest this season was, you know, I, I keep saying the joke instead of saying hello, he tell people I've been quested to return this child to its kind. Like is the new joke going to be instead of uh hello, he says, I have been stuck with this dark saber <laughs> <laughs> and I have a personal quest to get rid of it in some way that doesn't require violence. And as Mando yeah. season three, start with a, you know, a Quentin Tarantino standoff in that bridge room, you know, so many great things to think about, but I think Mando if the show was Mando and Grogu, you know, is it now going to be Mando? Mando and the Dark Saber is really interesting to me. And again, Grogu is uh, much more important than a sword, but it's just those uh, symbolic ideas from Din's perspective. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Great stuff. Uh, thank you for uh, taking us through that story uh, as I play catch up with that. Oh yeah, and I I I know I'm going on and on. I, I want to talk real quick about uh, Book of Boba Fett uh, because oh, sorry, we, yeah, you, there's, there's a my bad. No, no, no. We, your your natural good broadcaster instincts to move on to the next story. So I will say quickly about uh, Book of Boba Fett, a fun thing that's been burbling on uh, the Star Wars, uh, you know, Twitter community. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, a, a great uh, Twitter site that breaks down uh, different languages seen on screen and, and interprets them. That's been uh, getting a lot of uh, follows and loves. Uh, Alex, our, our friend at Star Wars Explained, also broke this down. But apparently on that throne, on the throne that's sitting on Jabba's old throne in that uh, trailer or, or that uh, scene, uh, that language that's, you know, a Macquarie design, uh, old tongue or katat, uh, those ruins apparently say something very similar to Boba Fett on the throne, which has created this extra interesting speculation of was Boba Fett at some point uh, after Jabba's passing, did he already set up a little bit of an enterprise? Something happened. <laughs> and Bib's like, nice throne. I'll sit here, you know, yeah. which uh, creates this interesting wrinkle. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. But the big thing, now that we know that that Book of Boba Fett is its own show in and book isn't just like a fun way to sort of integrate it into this is an interlude in the Mandalorian story. I'm so, so excited about what uh, the book of usually means the, to the point where I decided to look it up on uh, Merriam-Webster <laughs> dictionary. Uh, and I think we all have just kind of a general cultural understanding of it. But a couple mm-hmm. of fun definitions is that, you know, a book in this context is a major division of a treatise or literary work. So it could be looked at as the Mandalorian in this era of Star Wars storytelling. This is the this is the chunk of the story that is super relevant to Boba. Uh, but another definition that I really liked is uh, something that yields great knowledge or understanding uh, that is, you know, is the authority on something. And to me, that's what I'm really gravitating towards of being interested in. Is that what the title is about? That the book of Boba Fett is here is the final word on this notorious bounty hunter. And much like you were describing that the book of Boba Fett, it'll tell us a story about, you know, surviving the Sarlacc and uh, running a criminal empire maybe and, and uh, you know, fighting for power. But that plot will be in service of, let's take all these different pieces of this character and really examine 
What does he care about being a Mandalorian? What does he care about a clone? You know, how much is every action he takes motivated by watching Mace Windu cut his father's head off? Is he really just a simple man making his way in the galaxy? Or does he have something to prove? Does he want power because he believes Boba Fett should be the end all and the be all? (laughs) You know, I think it's going to be a real examination, finally, of who is Boba Fett? This is the definitive uh, treatise on Boba Fett. The treatise of Boba Fett. So this might be uh, the campfire conversation we wanted. It's just Boba Fett's doing it from a throne. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. Uh, maybe he just turns to Fennec Shan and says, I'd like to tell you about myself. <laughs> a flashback. Okay. Yeah, I like Yeah, no, that's, that's a great insight into what this could be. Yeah, yeah. Excited mm-hmm. to talk about it in the coming whole year that we have to wait. So now I'm done, Ken. You can uh, move on. And now we're, I'm sure we're not done with Boba Fett. Uh, so this is uh, something that came up uh, last week, and I just want to talk about it. Uh, two Empire Strikes Back featurettes, uh, similar in nature, but uh, different, uh, were released. Uh, first, Clayton uh, Sandel uh, released it uh, through uh, ABC, and then it, uh, some, it appeared on StarWars.com. And this is to help celebrate 40 years of striking back. Some really cool behind-the-scenes clips. Some that have been starting to float around more and more, I think taken from uh, kind of this lost Empire Strikes Back documentary that's uh, online. You can just search and find that. And just some unused lines, alternate takes, uh, and uh, just, uh, you know, uh, looking at this movie we all love 40 years after. Anything that jumped out in these uh, clips? Uh, any revelations or things you enjoyed, sir? Oh, there were so many great things. Uh, one thing that I just really enjoyed the in, in one of them, the very first thing is uh, Lucas examining uh, some of the footage of the Hoth battle and saying, you know, tell Dwayne we might need to put in another cut. Uh, you know, and, and I think it's a really great, you know, it starts right away with Lucas being super involved, right? When he was like, I, mm-hmm. I hired another <laughs> another director to do it. And he, he's right there. But also, it, it just, it was cool to me. Uh, Dwayne uh, was the assistant to the editor. And Dwayne is Dwayne Dunham, who would go on to uh, be an editor on Return of the Jedi and uh, an editor and director for Twin Peaks. And it's just fun for me to see that little moment of it's a casual little throwaway moment. It's like, wow, no, that's George Lucas <laughs> talking about Dwayne Dunham. Wow. Uh, you know, and I think the whole thing has that vibe of like, it's really, truly great to see these, these people that we really revere for their great work and see them in these little human moments of joking around, uh, trying, you know, different takes and all that uh, is uh, a ton of fun. The, um, the little scene, uh, between Han and Leia that isn't in the film, uh, where Han is jumping down from the Falcon and, and Leia says something to him. Uh, yeah. And Han says, thanks for your concern. And then gives her that shoulder tap that's like <laughs> really like yeah. uh, somehow like a sarcastic shoulder tap. I thought that was so great. Uh, yeah. A yeah, couple other ones, but uh, but those are the two mm-hmm. that, that really jumped out at me. Yeah. I, you know, I love uh, I love a lot of the Han and Leia stuff. Uh, there was one uh, that, uh, you know, I uh, always happy with what ends up in the final product, but there's one shot where it's like, they're coming, she's coming down the hallway and he like, he like picks her up and flips around mid conversation. And gentlemen, I please don't do that. Don't do that. Um, and, and even if it's, uh, you're, you're in some witty, passionate banter with a, a person you love, doesn't matter. Don't do that. But in terms of Han and Leia, God, that made me laugh. I thought, I, I thought that was so funny. Uh, and I just kind of like that beat and your, the beat you mentioned is great too. Uh, but I like what George said about that. There's a, a VO of him just kind of saying, you know, they didn't really know what to not do, but expect with the, the Han and Leia love story and, and how uh, Carrie and, and, and Harrison got in there as performers and, and, and brought so much to it. 
And I love hearing those kind of stuff, that kind of stuff about the creative process. And once you get to set, you figure it out. And then, you know, once you get to editing, you figure it out again. And I, I think it was a testament to what they brought to their characters and what they know. I think we all focus on the I love you, I know moment, which is taking its own kind of mythic, you know, level of, of, of urban legend that's not all true. It's different. And, and, and it's fascinating read on that, including Carrie being upset that she wasn't included in that decision with, with Harrison and, and, and Kirshner. Uh, but to see that George kind of acknowledging that, that was fun for me too. And um, it's interesting to note just, you know, how you see a lot of pin enamel pins being released of like behind the scenes empire stuff, the snow tractors, the crew jackets, and it's it's just the weird part of us Star Wars fans that so we're obsessed with those kind of things, and uh, to see it in action in, in these behind the scenes things, great. Oh, and the other thing, this is in that documentary as well, but they they highlighted it here. I love watching Mark Hamill train for the fight, and you get shots of Bob Anderson kind of doing the choreography there and working on him with. But I am also obsessed that he works out in jeans. I <laughs> one of my favorite little details. I just. <laughs> It was a, yeah, one of those shots that's a, like a, he's rehearsing in what it looks like some like garage hanger and just got those massive bell bottoms. <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. That was one of my favorite, just sort of uh comedy shot, great outtake uh, where, you know, people are throwing boxes at him during the Bespin duel. Uh, yes. And then, you know, so clearly the shot has already stopped because somebody's walked into the frame to pick another box up and the other box thrower doesn't stop and throws a box at him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like and Mark Hamill has a great uh, comedic uh, uh, reaction. Uh, I know a lot of people online are are loving that alternate uh, kiss between Han and Leia, where they they kiss once, and then she says, "Okay, hot shot," <laughs> goes in for another kiss. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I would take a uh, alternate cut version to be released on Disney Plus. Just ten minutes of here's their stuff. What could have been. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, just great, really fun and insightful uh, little videos honoring yeah. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, as as we wrap up the 40th anniversary year of, of Empire, uh, what remains your most favorite part of looking back at this movie? Yeah, I think looking back at it, uh, I think for me, uh, on a real personal level, there is a a fun experience of you know, reframing it in my mind from the film that I saw when I was a kid uh, and just meant everything to me. And, and I think, you know, really uh, formed a lot of my opinions and tastes and aesthetics because I loved it so much uh, and thought about it so much. Uh, but And then, you know, seeing it again as a part of the Star Wars tapestry as, you know, set in, in the time of the real world, you know, what it meant to Lucas and all that. But I think... Uh, think more than anything just how important it is to the dna of star wars you know there's a lot that is a ton that is established in a new hope uh but as they say in these little pieces the the choice to truly tell the next chapter mm -hmm. and not just have a you know there's there's so little fear in empire strikes back right you could have given into fear and said okay we we do want to advance the story but we, but you know we want to play it a little safer we want to have a few more specific elements from a new hope and this was so much let's strike out and let's make our our own thing and i think that is really powerful about it i think uh, i think also just the, the the reminder of the elements that are in empire strikes back and it, it's not that they aren't there in a new hope but they're just so highlighted 
in Empire Strikes Back. And, and some of those things that I think are essential to me, to the DNA of Star Wars, is the amount of philosophical depth uh, with Yoda uh, in Dagobah and, and Luke's emotional battle rather than physical battle being the most important. Uh, it's, you know, funny. And again, A New Hope is funny too, but, but Empire Strikes Back is really making an effort, I think, with Irvin Kirshner to have those lines that pop and have flair and style. And then Empire is just weird. There's almost nothing, <laughs> you know, sort of real world about it. it you know, everything is, you know, they, they don't just go to a planet on a city. They go to a city floating in, you know, the clouds. It's just... Every, you know, it's not enough that an animal attacks Luke. He hangs him upside down in an ice cave. You know, it's just the deep weirdness of Star Wars of there's all these relatable emotions in important philosophy, but it is set in a weird fantasy world where every time you turn around, there is something weird and different and new. That is so important to Star Wars. And I think that really got solidified with Empire. Yeah, man, you you hit it that that fear thing you said is a is a, an official force center well said and and well struck, sir. Uh, because <laughs> George has something in the clips that we saw. I forget which one and, and what exactly he said, but you know, just like, hey, you know, basically saying on the first one, no one really knew what to expect. Either you know, we all know historically the crew, the British crew, was kind of making fun of it, and Gil Young didn't really give a damn, and and they come back and everyone now knows and everyone kind of says, got it. We got it. And there, there, there lies, you know, the truth about what you said is no fear puppet. Sure. This whole, uh, the whole, whole sequence based around a puppet. Look where we are now. Look, look, look where we, you know, even that, even now with Grogu, it's a risk, but, but back then, you know, crazy to consider that. And they did it. And, and none of that is necessarily new, but 40 years gone to look back and and say what we have now i think for my money what we're experiencing now with all these shows and these books and these comics and the fact that it still is going is because of empire new hope brought it to us it created the galaxy it it, it, it's the foundation but none of that works if the follow-up is jaws (laughs) three you know and um we really 40 years through the the, the, the the lens of time and, and distance from it, it's crazy to think that it did work. It, it worked. And I think because of what you said, everyone on board, um, no fear, just just confidence and in, in to, to figure out what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and obviously to hear, you know, Lucas uh, talk about it and all the challenges and falling behind and the money, I, you know, I'm certain, I'm certain that they experienced fear. Many people experienced fear as they were making it, but they didn't let it, it change their path or hold them back. And I think that's the thing that's really yeah. powerful is like, you know, I think sometimes we picture no fear as just being like, I'm golden, I'm unstoppable. And I think the, the you know, the great thing is that fear is normal and it's how you deal with it. And I think Empire Strikes Back itself is such a great testament to, yeah, I'm sure they were scared when they were making it, but they didn't let that stop them. Yep. I think it's a little, I mean, not a little thing. You you, you watch one documentary about Empire or Star Wars, the Star Wars story and you, you get it, but like 20th Century Fox being afraid, like the money, Alan Ladd Jr. being in trouble, potentially losing his job over this. It's crazy to think. It's crazy to think because it's empire, man. (laughs) It's the greatest of them all, right? Uh, And and I love that, that we can still highlight looking back. 
Final thing. All right. Final thing. This is an important question. Uh, one of perhaps the most important question ever on Force Center. Will you do the Tauntaun dance, the first wedding or event you get to attend post pandemic? <laughs> Absolutely. That was one of the great bits. Uh, you know, and I, I'm excited about it because it's a dance I feel I can and am going to do in my home. I just do it naturally anywhere on the dance floor. Mark Hamill uh, on the set, uh, on location uh, uh, for uh, on, in the storms of Hoth saying the Tauntaun dance is three steps, claws up, three steps to the right, and then you fall over. <laughs> I'm going to do that to just get in bed every night, the Tauntaun dance. Exactly. Do the Tauntaun dance. Do the Tauntaun dance. Uh, so that's uh, that story there. And then now, oh, my gosh, get ready for follow. Follow me on this one, folks. And Joseph, please feel free to help me. Uh, my head's still a little foggy. But uh, the end, uh, the quote, I'm putting quotations around it. The, the quote, end of the High Republic era sparked some acolyte speculation and also it, it sparked a Chinese exclusive ebook. So let's start with that. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, this is, this is, I think this is really cool. Uh, there's uh, the release um, and now a video, a Chinese exclusive star Wars online novel, star Wars, the silver path is coming out. Uh, James Waugh, VP of development over there says the book comes towards the end of the high Republic era. And it's just 50 years prior to the phantom menace five Oh, 50 years prior. But first, uh, let's discuss this book. It's focused on a Padawan named Sean with a mysterious past that is torn between his duty to the Jedi uh, and to his master and his own interests, which is a pretty timeless tale. And Wall was explaining that. What do you think about this? Uh, that title, by the way, I love the Silver Path uh, as an allusion to Gray Jedi, that thing we fight against. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about this story? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in my head, my own catchphrase for uh, the High Republic era is thousands of Jedi, thousands of stories. Uh, I just, I, I, as I've said, the whole time for High Republic, uh, you know, very soon cracking open the first book, what excites me about it is that the Jedi can be seen as just this group that all are, well, they're all noble, uh, they're all trained, they're, they're all of the most serious mind. And I love seeing them as individuals with really different perspectives. And I think that's really what the High Republic is going to bring us. And I love hearing this, that here is this kind of a classic Star Wars story. Uh, you know, if it's a Padawan, it's really giving younger readers an entry point, right? And mm -hmm. it's this, it, so it's got that universal quality to it. If it's a Padawan questioning his path, uh, but also knowing it's in this era, what is it that the Jedi expect of, of him? What is it that his master expects of him? What what are his personal interests that, that pull him away? That speaks to something being unique, that he's not just another Jedi, that like all these Jedi that we're getting to meet in this era, really their own character. Mm. Yeah, yeah, thousands of years, thousands of Jedi stories. That's great. That's great. Uh, I, um, yeah, I'm really intrigued by this. Uh, and again, the, so the next question, you know, Will you be able to hear it, read it, see it? Uh, how will it factor in? Because because Wah did mention that you know we want to create characters that can pop up anywhere when when they fit the story. And and you know I'm paraphrasing a bit there, but yeah, you know that this this isn't just off in its own corner. This character uh, is potentially could be used elsewhere. So uh, what do you think about this? The benefits of a, of a of a region slash country exclusive story. Uh, and, and what that can uh, do to help Star Wars business-wise and uh, in the story story side. Yeah, I mean, this is a real moment of, uh, of business and storytelling and, and cultural uh, understanding meet, right? Uh, you you uh, were kind enough to let me read your copy of that Bob Iger book, 
yeah. about his whole career. And that was just really insightful about how much of his career has been uh, building a relationship uh, with different parts of the world, China included. Um, I think if I'm remembering correctly, Star Wars has uh, not had the financial uh, power, the cultural uh, footprint in China. And I'm sure that's something yeah. that they would like. So this is really fascinating to me to have something that is, you know, w working with the, the Chinese culture to mm. tell a Star Wars story, but also to tell a Star Wars story like this. For mm. most of us, our entry point into Star Wars, we can track to there's some younger character that it was taking their first steps into a larger world that we identify with, you know, if it's a Luke or Anakin or Ahsoka or Ezra, you know, on and on there, the different generations often get pulled into the much larger world of star Wars. If they have a central character that they mm -hmm. younger character, a coming of age story that they can identify with. So it seems creatively very intriguing to me, but also very specifically like maybe what this culture, this market needs from Disney's perspective is a, a, a entry, a better entry point into the story of star Wars. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's a great take on it here. Cause yeah, this is a from business side, your, your global markets and all those kind of uh, buzzwords on the really, the, the true investors calls uh, are they're They're important. They're important for business. And yeah, star Wars infamously has taken some, some hits in that market. Uh, but what I love as it relates to Star Wars, you mentioned so mentioned the Iger book, but also that uh, Disney Plus documentary series, the Imagineering one. Uh, when it, the whole the episodes of, of going in every time Disney the the theme park went into other parts of the world, they didn't just want to incorporate the the culture. Uh, you know, they they needed to. It, it had to happen. It had to um, not just to pay you know respects to the area that they're bringing this into, but just kind of. Um, there's a little bit of just a respect issue and, and uh, a way to present it. And, and I'm, I'm shortening just an entire documentary's worth of cultural conversations. Uh, China, Disney, Shanghai, was uh, that was their toughest one. That was their toughest one. And to take Star Wars into it, and, and there's been some things in the past, uh, you know, where, you know, some, some Star Wars has maybe butted up against some some traditions or, or certain things out there and, you know, bigger maybe conversation to have. Um, but so I'm, to, to make this effort to, to take star Wars there to, to the, the Chinese uh, market, the Chinese uh, people and give them something that respects them, respects where they're from, what they believe or what they, uh, you know, just uh, want from a star Wars story. But then to do what you just said of just cool. Now come on into this larger, Star Wars story. That's going to be really interesting as it pertains, pertains to just this project, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then I think, you know, down the line, maybe it will be translated because I think we've kind of oh. we've seen this before, like with uh, when Dooku Jedi Lost was initially just audio and then they did put out the script book and now they're, you know, putting out the script book uh, for Afra, I believe, uh, as well. Um, so I, I think mm -hmm. there is a good possibility, too, that it will eventually uh, be available to all. To all, yeah, uh, I'd be, I, I, I'm so intrigued. I'd love that. Love to take a take a shot. Um, so in the second part of this this story, Joseph, uh, in this little video, great little package, uh, I, and I was confused when I was trying to put together news. This is the way I, I knew about this book, and, and you know, I right, find we can talk about it. I, probably uh, something we're going to do. But then I, I was like, oh, did, I heard I heard Lucasfilm confirmed something for the acolyte. Then I went and like, 
eh, they really didn't. I was just <laughs> digging, digging, digging. Unless I missed some big article and it's this past weekend, it's possible. Uh, but in this video, Waugh essentially moves up the end of the High Republic era as we thought we had known. Uh, you know, though none of this has really been confirmed. Um, he said, like I said, the 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 book, The Silver Path, comes towards the end of the High Republic era. And it's just 50 years prior to the Phantom Menace. Now, we know the High Republic era uh, begins, so to speak, roughly 200 years before the Phantom Menace. So out of this, we had heard, uh, you know, on the Investor Day, Leslie Headland's uh, Disney Plus project, The Acolyte, is said to be in the waning days of the High Republic with an emerging dark side power. And so now this created a wave of excitement, which leads to speculation that this puts us close enough in the Star Wars timeline to include... Palpatine, Darth Plagueis, other people with dark side robes. So we want to talk about that here, have some fun speculating, but also give our thoughts on that, uh, Joseph. If you followed all of that, quite a little video that sparked sparked so many stories. Yeah, no, there's a a lot going on there. And I I think it's really cool to get the general sense of like, ooh, that's that's the general uh, shape of the time period of the High Republic. That gives them lots of elbow room to to tell stories that are contained within the high Republic and then deal with the sort of transition from the high Republic to the not doing great Republic (laughs) (laughs) or whatever title they give it for, uh, for the general prequel era. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's it's really great to know that in terms of the acolyte stuff. uh, I thought that was really great. I wonder if that detail was included in the Disney investor day, you know, for, for more intense fans uh, like us to be, to just have a little tidbit of information, but also to just really emphasize what I think they were trying to emphasize in that Disney investor day. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy even said like, we have uh, this many thousands of years of, of storytelling in star Wars and to really emphasize the acolyte was in a different time period. I think that might be why that detail was included. Mm, yeah. A little breadcrumb, a little information breadcrumb. Yeah. Uh, so all right, let's talk about this a little bit here. And, and, um, it's been it's been clear uh, that this series by, by Leslie Headland will be a female centric series in terms of the main characters and the story and the focus. Uh, we got a little bit of the vibe through some of her interviews, quotes, and even this Investors Day. So when we, we want to be clear here. I certainly don't want to speak for you, Joseph, but I, I you know I think we 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 don't believe this will suddenly be a young Palpatine series, correct? <laughs> I do not believe that the acolyte is uh, secretly about Palpatine. No. Yes. Um, but however, let's discuss this, uh, series in terms of timeline, the emerging dark side powers, like I mentioned, and, and why people would want need or not want young Palpy to appear, uh, young Sheev, uh, uh, gets a promotion or whatever it's going to be. Uh, cause I'm, I'm intrigued by that notion, but I, I definitely still would want that storytelling another time, another way, another series, if we're going to get it. And I am, intri- I'm very interested in young Palpy, uh, or younger Palpy. Um, but I, I want this to serve the acolyte, whoever the acolyte is or who they are, what's going on with, with, with Heflin's given us, but let's just dive into the Palpatine and I'll, I'll stop rambling. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about Palpy and his robes and the possibilities? Oh, I think about Palpy and his robes all the time. Old Sheev, young Sheev. Yeah, you know, just give me a Disney plus series called young Sheev. No, I think, um, I have a mix of emotions and thoughts. I've been talking about the acolyte with the hope for myself that this might be a Star Wars story that, that is truly not connected uh, to larger storytelling ideas. I, I do. It's important to me that eventually one of these Disney Plus series really just plants the flag and proves that you can just tell, like, here's a random story about 
a Jedi, a Night Sister, the pirate, a scoundrel, and they have an adventure in this planetary system, and it's in this time period that's not connected to any of the big movies, big characters, and it truly stands alone, totally alone, and it's beautiful all by itself. I I want that eventually, um, but if Leslie had if it's organic, which I think a lot of the way the storytelling uh, is happening lately, it, it's development. If it's organic and it ends up you know, having some relationship to known Star Wars storytelling, I don't care as long as the storytelling is good. So if it is something like, you know, Leslie Headland has this idea about a kind of, of character, uh, an emerging dark sider, and then it's a mystery thriller where this emerging dark sider is going from planet to planet, culture to culture in search of something. If it's a mystery thriller, probably trying to find the answer to a question uh, that is very important to them. If Leslie Headland comes with that story and they're like, you know, it'd go great here in the timeline. And at that point, they're like, well, if it is a young dark sider, and we said it here, then Plagueis is the the Sith at that moment. So maybe we can slot him in here. If it's organic, that's mm-hmm. totally fine with me. And my kind of, and I will say, I think that's kind of what happened here with, uh, with the amazing reveal we just saw in The Mandalorian of this is a story about a lone bounty hunter who, who finds a, a young, uh, you know, force user who needs help. Well, if we're going to pay off that story, the person who would answer the call for help is Luke. So, okay, there he is. But this isn't suddenly the Luke Skywalker show. Um, and I would be fine if Plagueis or Palpatine show up in an organic way like that. And the story is still the story of the Acolyte, whoever that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Because w- w- yeah, stumble, stumble, stumble. <laughs> um, this has never come across as, especially now that we've got some interviews uh, with Leslie Headland out there. It's never come across as folks, we're going to do episode seven, eight and nine, and we're going to hire some people to uh, carry those visions out. This was always read to me as Leslie Headland. We loved her work. We had a general meeting. And at some point she comes to us with an idea that we loved and she's passionate about. And yeah, like you said, and, 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 and discussing if she sits down with, story group and goes, what's the time? What? Yeah, here's my ideas. What's the timeline? Oh, we could do this. We could do that, which by the way, I'm not saying that's exactly how it works over there with the story group. Sometimes their job is uh, misunderstood. It's either undervalued or overvalued depending <laughs> on your point of view. Um, that, then, then I'm on board because it, it, if, if it is in that time frame, the waning days ends up being 50-ish years from it, I, I, I you're going to ask those questions, much like I'm asking now of Great. Is the New Republic concerned about Moff Gideon? Because I think they should be and would be. So then it will work for me. I'm just excited for her to tell this story that she wants, to your point, of, of something that seems to be kind of separate. But I'm, I'm really intrigued if it's emerging. We, I keep saying the emerging dark side power because that's a phrase that, that, that is out there. We, we keep talking about Night Sisters. A lot of pe- keep, people keep talking about Night Sisters. There's been no indication that that's the end. <laughs> We're excited about that possibility. But if it's something else completely, another character... And what it's a mystery. There's some mystery kind of aspects to it. I think she said at one point it's being described as a mystery thriller. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I would want to know. I would want to know. I'd love. I'd just be excited. But anyways, I I think you all get where I'm coming from. Where we're coming from. Uh, let the we would love this story to stand up. We don't need it to connect. But if you have the ability and someone who seems to love Star Wars as much as Leslie Headland does, and I'm telling you, I'm seeing just more and more little quotes that I yeah missed or. You know, I, I didn't follow her too closely, but now I, I admit that. And that's the power of Star Wars to, to elevate these creators to a higher level. 
Um, I'm just intrigued by what she feels about Star Wars. And someone like that to turn their eye at some point, maybe, to a certain view of Palpatine or Plagueis in this time, I'm interested. I just want her to get there, as you said, organically. Yeah, and this is the kind of canon stuff that I love of, of you know, just what happens organically if Leslie Headland has a story about an emerging Darksider or maybe somebody from a different Darkside tradition and it's in this time period, of course, Plagueis or Palpatine or, you know, some other Sith in the chain of the rule of two is going to have some opinions about other Darksiders is either going to try to use them or shut them down. And that just makes sense and is fun. And it doesn't mean the story has to be about them. Um, yeah. The other thing that I, I think excites me about all this, uh, not only uh, the book of um, the Silver Path, right? Uh, and now the Acolyte, if they're both set towards the end of the High Republic, that the stuff that gets me really excited is w- what happens? Why does the High Republic end? We know a lot how the Jedi ultimately fail, right? Um, yeah. Hubris, uh, too close of uh, rigidity in their ways, too close of attachment to um, the Republic and just kind of working for the Republic and not making their own choices, uh, being inactive when they should maybe be active, all that. But how did that happen? You know, and, and with the actual Republic, the Senate, when we meet the Senate in the Phantom Menace, it seems like Palpatine and the Sith in general have already got, you know, the Trade Federation to have corporate influence and have already got the political system to be really slow to respond. That's the story of the Phantom Menace of why the government isn't functioning. You know, they have to, you know, send a commission to prove that their planet has been invaded, which is just, you know, a way to slow things down. So I'm I'm so curious to see if this this period of time is going to get into some of those fun details of what went wrong with both the Jedi and the Republic to start them down that path. Yeah, you're speaking my language there. I but but I'll tell you what. I just want one book or or episode. Uh, someone stands up in front of the galaxy and goes, and so draws the end of the High Republic. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a motion in the Senate. Like we're <laughs> we're not high anymore, are we? We're not we're not the High Republic anymore, are we? Uh, bummer, but you do it. You do what you can. We're the fair to Midland Republic uh, right there. So I think this whole thing is going to be uh, written by Beaumont Kin's uh, great-grandfather. Oh, there you go. There you go. So some fun speculation. We'll get the answers one day. One day we will. Uh, final story here. Other we always do take a Mando Monday update, but it's uh, it's Tuesday, so uh, it is what it is there. Um, sad story. Uh, talking about loss, and I said we all deal with it, and it's all part of life. Jeremy Bullock passed away. Bullock was, of course, 75 and was the performer inside the iconic Boba Fett outfit for Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. He had a long career, though, which included Doctor Who and James Bond appearances. I look over you, Joseph, for that. Uh, and here's a quick story on it. I, I think I'd kind of heard this some points or another, but I didn't, hadn't really focused on it. He's a half-brother of Star Wars producer Robert Watts. Uh, Robert, uh, I think maybe he was associate producer or something, uh, a little lower runged on Empire, but uh, one of the producers of Return of the Jedi, famously, of course, in the ATSD with uh, Richard Marquand when the Ewoks take it over. Watts called him saying, hey, come on down. I'll get you in. I'm going to help you out. If the suit fits, the part is yours. <laughs> Both of them should all be so lucky, right? Yeah, if the suit fits, the part's yours. Uh, there's a lot of suits that we fit in. Come on, let's get some parts. 
Yeah. Uh, Bullock saw Fett as a Clint Eastwood in a suit of armor and made physical acting choices based on that, which informed the character going forward. I think that's actually pretty big, right? I mean, even to what we, and it, it was just, you know, just cosmic timing, I guess. He passed away on Friday and, and on the day of uh, the Mandalorian episode that we all learned at the Book of Boba Fett. Just, uh, man, life works weird sometimes. Uh, uh, but I, even what we see now, I mean, that kind of, and, and the Spurs, they added the Spurs. Like, great, cool, Clint Eastwood, we got it. Um, that uh, Those choices kind of uh, fueled a lot going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is one of the things, uh, you know, I, I prattle on about the uh, people who grew up with the original trilogy, their relationship with Boba Fett. It, it wasn't that he did so many incredibly amazing things on screen that proved he was the best bounty hunter ever. It was the mystique. And I think uh, having in both Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, that very cool customer vibe of just the slow, specific head turns. And when he did decide to act, that blaster coming up real fast, you know, those are kind of like the, those are the two moves. Those are the two settings on, on Boba Fett, uh, is the a cool head turn, a cool head nod and a quick blaster raise, you know, in that it, yeah. it speaks of this mystique that you could play with your action figures of the cool customer that you don't want to piss off. Cause then the blaster comes up real fast. Blaster comes on up. Uh, Bullock used his place in the saga to become an ambassador. He was a fan favorite at conventions and look, you could, I think now that's such an industry, I mean, it really is an industry and, and smart if you're a performer and you, and you can get a piece of that pie, I go for it, go for it. But he's been doing that for a very long time, uh, back when the conventions weren't all the rage, when it was a couple of card tables and a banner, you know. Um, but because through that, uh, I'm not saying that any, any of that cynical, I mean, but through that, Joseph, he he's become synonymous with being out there with the fans. He, he's truly ambassador for not only what he did in Star Wars, but the brand overall. And I think that's a pretty cool and valuable thing. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, he definitely made his mark. Uh, you know, he, he the suit fit and he got a, he got to be this uh, icon. But then I think part of what has made him an icon of the Star Wars community is all these relationships he's built uh, through conventions. Uh, he was a guest at uh, the my home convention back in uh, Minnesota Convergence uh, many years ago. And and that was, you know, through the chain of uh, Peter Mayhew and Michael Sheard had been there and they'd be like, thumbs up, Jeremy. <laughs> so he came, you know, and, and I think he did all those conventions he's uh he's in that great film uh l street 1976 which i believe is available on uh streaming a lot of different places right now uh l street 1976 is that great documentary that really gets into this whole world of uh of being a star wars person at conventions and how jeremy was you know like very friendly and loved but kind of there's some great stuff in there of people being envious because he was, you know, Boba Fett. And other people are like, I was in the background of the medal ceremony on Yavin. I wish I was Boba Fett. <laughs> and, and, and he's, he, he's at, you know, at the top of that, uh, you know, uh, continuum. And he's just a, a sweetheart and a gentleman in that film as well. Yeah, as sweetheart and a gentleman. So thank you, Mr. Bullock. Uh, you talked a lot about uh, some great stuff in there. Boba Fett, the original trilogy, the the two sets of action and everything. Uh, we've talked a lot about Boba Fett the last uh, couple of weeks with, with good reason. Uh, any final uh, thoughts uh, just on Boba Fett and the original trilogy and, and you and I being part of a generation that grew up with this mysterious toy? Yeah, I mean, I think when I think of Boba Fett and the original trilogy, honestly, one of the one of the moments that comes to mind the most is uh, the head nod of respect to uh, yeah. Bush Bausch yeah. Bush. Uh, 
after, you know, we, we know it's Leia after Leia successfully is a, a fearless and inventive scum and gets the compliment uh, from Jabba, you know, is it, just one of those real hints into his character of like, oh, he's got you know, this weird little code of honor. You know, what is that about? Uh, th- I think that's one of the moments that uh, that really sticks with me and is, I think, a, a great moment. Uh, from Jeremy Bullock in the suit. But I have prattled about Boba Fett so much. I'm curious what your answer to this question about, you know, Boba Fett in the original trilogy, the man in the suit, what what are the moments for you? Yeah, I th- well, you, the head the head nod is, I've used that, I've used that gif before, even that picture, probably before gifs and gifs were uh, popular or easy to use, describing me at parties. I, I am not <laughs> parties and I sit in the corner and I'll see and I just give a nod. Uh, that's my kind of uh, how I interact uh, out and about in the world. But that I love I you and I you I think you mentioned last week the special edition uh, kind of uh, thumb and finger on the the chin of of, of the lady there uh, just showing that uh, Boba Fett also has some uh, you know wants and desires beyond collecting bounties like I just <laughs> human uh, humanoid Star Wars I don't know emotion uh, to, to see there. Um, I, I didn't, I, I didn't find it too cheesy overall. There's it's some cheese, but it's uh, it's okay to me. Uh, no, but just what Boba Fett in the original trilogy represents. And I say growing up, you know, grow up with this cool toy. You did want to know. And when you, some of the answers came across, whether it's in the empire strikes back novel or just legends uh, handed on down from behind the scenes, docs or articles, or just the stories passed around. That oh, oh 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 he was that's the armor of the the Mandalorians or these warriors and there was all this stuff that happened that that's it all starts you know the EU legends what we're dealing modern canon the continuation of the story that's another thing Empire Strikes Back did it created this character that created questions that made you want to know more and just by looking at his armor you felt you had a idea of what he was but you wanted to know more I I, I think that is part of Boba Fett's legacy and always has been for me. Yeah, no, he he really, you know, Han in the cantina in A New Hope is definitely like, wow, uh, roguish, uh, you know, smugglers and, and you know, maybe active people, maybe violent people, maybe just day drunks. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but Boba Fett's the one who crystallized it, you know, into, oh, there's this whole other thing that's outside of the uh, Empire and the Rebellion of this wide world of of bounty hunters and that idea of Han Solo and Boba Fett being mortal enemies, man, did that open up the imagination? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Open up the imagination. So thank you, Mr. Bullock. Thank you for your contributions to the greatest saga ever told. Quick one here, man. The final Mando Monday update here on a Tuesday uh, when you're listening or maybe later, uh, you know, IG 11 with child satchel pop by Funko. I, I might be on board for that. That's a great moment to put into Funko. Um, yeah, that's the one that jumped out to me. Yeah, that one. Yeah, and and uh, the dark saber, all that kind of stuff. But I got to tell you, uh, you know, the child Grogu backpack. I'll take that. I I grew up with Hot Wheels and Matchbox cars. Obsessed with them as a kid. My parents thought I was going to be a mechanic. I turned out to be the farthest from. But I collected <laughs> those cars and would just turn them over and spin their wheels while I was two or three until the sun uh, went down. So I'm obsessed with little cars and collectibles, and I'm also obsessed with horrible Star Wars memorabilia merchandise and toys <laughs> and i think the hot wheels line that's been out for a while now with the i'm right now looking at the i have the wicket one that's like a little wicket car there's uh, i'm i'm looking at uh, uh, octo uh, luke uh-huh. 
a Lamborghini kind of car. And then uh, the Jabba, the Hut van I have, I'm staring at it right now too. <laughs> it's some of the worst Star Wars merchandise ever. And I'm obsessed with it. So the fact that they're now doing some Hot Wheels character cards, you got uh, some Mando ones, but you got, you got the child. It's like a little car. It's a pram car version of his pram and you got his ears and his eyes are the, the, the front windshield you're looking out of. I am going to go search every seven 11 uh, loves and pilot truck stop and gas station until I find that one. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good call. I look forward to the next time, uh, you know, it's a, uh, that I'm in target and, and I feel like there's a, enough uh, distance uh, from other people that I can look in the toy aisle. And, and I, I want uh, some weird Mandalorian cars for sure. Cause I do like these weird cars. They're so weird. They're weird. They're weird indeed. Uh, I got so excited. I knocked over uh, parts of my studio. Uh, so <laughs> that's, uh, our final look at Mando Monday in the news uh, we're running long, but we love, uh, Hey, that's the force center way. Sometimes before we take a quick break, reset and get to your questions, we want to do our force center recommends an audiobook We think you should try out on us. That's right. This week we are recommending lost stars by Claudia Gray. Why? Because it's been a while, uh, really out of the gate. Uh, when people are getting excited about the Disney Lucasfilm publishing lost stars is one of the first that really captured people's imaginations. It is a great read and a great listen. So if you've been looking to try out, uh, some new star Wars, uh, books, I think lost stars is a great one to start with. Absolutely. And, you know, I was just on our pal Jamie Stangroom's uh, YouTube show, The Geek End, and he was saying he thinks now I'm, I think I'm going to finally start reading some Star Wars books. And this I hear that a lot, even now in 2020. And this is a great place to start. Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash force center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash force center for your free audiobook and support the show in the process. All right. We're going to take a quick break, reset, as we always say, and come back with your questions here on Force Center. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Four Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Four Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J E N I L A N D A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at Jennifer Landa and on TikTok as Jennifer Landa1138. Welcome back to Force Center, the news and the cues. It's time to get to those questions Joseph sent to us by all of our wonderful listeners. That is right. We've got two questions from Twitter, two questions from Patreon. So let's dive in. First from Twitter is Scott Schreiner. And Scott says, uh, what's your take on the rumors that the Kenobi series will at least partially take place during the era of the Clone Wars? I guess I'd hope we'd spend all that time possible uh, in between episodes three and four. And Ewan is the perfect age for that. And we've seen the Clone Wars already. So uh, full disclosure, Scott uh, responded to one of our question prompts uh, with this before the Hayden Christensen news. And when I saw it, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know. I I don't know about, uh, you know, discussing those rumors. But now that Hayden Christensen is confirmed uh it feels a little bit more uh open season on that kind of speculation to me and i thought scott's question was really uh interesting so i wanted to dive in where are you at with that ken now that we have the confirmation that hayden is in this as well are you expecting and wanting some scenes from the clone wars or or like scott is expressing are you feeling like no i know the clone wars let's push on into into their future obi-wan and anakin's yeah, and first of all, hey, Scott. Scott, as uh, someone who has reached out to me uh, with a uh, Facebook message or something through my professional page, and, and, and just he and I uh, both shared a message of just we're from the same generation as you and I are, Joseph, too, of, of, of Star Wars fans and how we're just like, oh, my God, it's a bounty of Star Wars, and, <laughs> and we still can't believe it. So uh, good stuff, Scott. Yeah, I, I'm, 
This this is a great question because post or or or, or pre the Hayden announcement, I I'm okay with it going back. Uh, do I want an episode? Do I want it if if it's a flashback or part of the story or however they want to tell it? Um, I am game. I'm game in a way that I don't know if I even would have thought not too long ago. I, I'm here in Hayden is Vader suit and their final conflict and even some stuff you could do with Hayden as Vader on its own. And I even talked about, a, you know, do you have a dream sequence, a fantasy sequence where he's dreaming about a life with Padme and you sneak in Natalie Portman in the back of the set and surprise us all with that? You know, I could be up for that. But also, I, as as you're asking this question, I, I think I could be, you know, Ewan still looks great. It's, it, you know, he's, and as does Hayden, by the way, let's be honest. And he, I, he, there's a health food store up on in Toluca Lake. He goes to all the time. My friend Mark Ellis runs into him regularly. So he eats well. He does well. <laughs> I want to go to that magic Toluca Lake health uh, store because damn. He's he there is. all the time. I've never, I've been there, but I've never run into him. Um, I'm t- could you, I'm almost asking you just, could you be okay with, flashback or otherwise, and you just have a scene that's pre-fall of, of Anakin, like a little bit more of their brotherly relationship in those final weeks. We got a ton with Clone Wars, as, as Scott points out, but we got a, got a, already got a, a bounty in Revenge of the Sith. But what if they just go, hey, yeah, we're going to shoot a scene that takes place then. I, I, I got to tell you, I might be okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a truth that as humans, we all age differently. And whatever it is that uh, Mark Ellis and Hayden Christensen are getting into Luca Lake, I want some of it because Hayden Christensen has aged well. Uh, Ewan McGregor has aged well, where where even with, with makeup and, and maybe with some subtle de-aging that happens in Hollywood that sometimes I, I think audiences do not even detect. Bad uh, friends <laughs> tell me like that some actors just uh, request that and do a little de-aging that, that you do not detect. It's not making Robert De Niro 20. It's just, anyway, point being, I think that, that just on that real practical side, it's easy to imagine them being able to film those scenes. And Mm -hmm. then for the emotional part of it, uh, especially since Hayden Christensen has been confirmed, especially since the story of the epic rematch has been confirmed by Kathleen Kennedy's announcement. I want clone Wars scenes so bad. I Mm -hmm. think that, um, because uh, I, I think there's really good storytelling reasons uh, for them. And anybody who's listened to Force Center for a long time knows that I, I obsess over that. Of I, I want things to be there because they're cool, but also because they truly deeply make sense in the story. Mm-hmm. I think if the, the, if the main thrust of this story is, like we are speculating, hopefully responsibly, that some event makes Obi-Wan go, I, I, it's my responsibility that Vader is out there torturing the galaxy. I got to try to get through to him. Maybe he gets close, maybe he doesn't, that it'll be about a physical confrontation. But to me, more importantly, it's going to be about an emotional confrontation. That's, you know, our responsible speculation. If you accept that speculation, that means those Clone Wars scenes are, any Clone Wars scenes are about supporting that. Mm -hmm. And is there a moment that uh, with all of his doubt and his reflection for Obi-Wan, where he's like, that's the moment where... I, I can I can memorize this moment and I can describe it to uh, Anakin and and that's Obi-Wan's emotional anchor for I should have been there for you this is this is truly who you were Anakin this is the moment where I I, I could have been there for you you know and, and absolutely there are, there are tons of moments in the movies and in Clone Wars that could be that moment but from a writerly perspective you know there, there's a a power in 
defining that moment that might be what Obi-Wan anchors himself to of like, that is the moment of either a, just an epitome of when you were Anakin Skywalker, Jedi Knight, mm-hmm. wonderful, noble, compassionate person, or this moment of true failure from Obi-Wan's part of this is a, a moment where you truly needed me and I could have helped you and I wasn't there or, or both, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm. I'm, so I'm excited about it from that perspective. Um, in, in, then in, in other, in, in terms of what Scott's saying, of we've already seen the Clone Wars, the other thing that excites me is I think there are some extremely potentially significant bits of Obi-Wan and Anakin storytelling that we have not seen in modern canon. Um, yeah. For Obi-Wan, we don't, in modern canon, have the story of his ascension to the Jedi Council. Um, mm-hmm. For Anakin, in modern canon, we don't ha- have the story of how he got the eye scar. Uh, we do not have... You know, we can infer he he, he was you know uh, made a knight immediately based on mm. his actions in Attack of the Clones, and somehow felt that was passing the trial. But did he do some other trials? And then there's also, of course, you know that small thing of the construction of the Skywalker blade, the hero's saber, and it, it excites me that there are moments that are that are potentially extremely relevant to examinations of who these characters are. And I would love to see those on screen. I would love to, rather than just get a random mention in a book of like, yeah, Anakin had this adventure when he made the hero's blade. When he got that kyber crystal, he it was blah, blah, blah. I'd much rather see that on screen and have that be a moment of, you know, I've always kind of speculated. It'd be great if his his transition to knighthood and his, you know, getting that crystal, building that blade was a moment of just pure heroism yeah. uh, and, and a shining example of, of who Anakin could have been if he didn't fall then it becomes really important to this story. Mm. The examination of these characters. I, I, know, I know that's maybe not exciting to everyone watching Star Wars, but it's it's what just fuels our, our fires here as, as fans now. Um, uh, and, and we love the action. We crave the action. But making, making a, a just, 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 just pulling from those moments and, 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 and feeding them back into these characters, particularly Kenobi and, and what we feel this, this series could be about with him and looking back and looking forward. Yeah. You, you speak in my language, speaking our language and, and Scott, I, I hope that's the answer. I don't, I don't think you're wrong. Cause I think I, I kind of have that like, no, 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 just have old man in the desert and we'll go from there. And I'm not a huge, I don't want to say not a huge fan of flashbacks, but sometimes it's not even that about it being um, a, a cheap trick or anything, like that, but just like, sometimes I just like, I just like living where now where the story is. Uh, but uh, that, it could be used well. It could be used well. And again, it couldn't. It might not even be flashbacks. It could be we start the story here. Right. Yeah. Or it. Yeah. It could be. You know, this this ep- an episode mentions something, and then the next uh, episode, you know, is just that story. Uh, like like television shows sometimes do is jump around in time. I think that could be really really interesting. Yeah. Um. The only the only other thing that I'll throw out here too, I'll throw out many other things uh, over the years, getting to discuss this before we see it. But I've always wanted to see more of Anakin in the temple as Vader, um, yeah, yeah. and I've always felt like, you know, there's this great storytelling moment of Anakin has decided to take this path because he feels that's the only way uh, to save Padme, but he's got to tap into his anger and he has so much to be angry about with the Jedi and seeing him let that boil to the surface. And basically like his attack on the temple being fueled by 
you kept me from my mother. You tried to keep me from my wife. I'm going to let it all out because I have to. And just letting the hate flow. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you know, I'm a, I try to be a nice person, but I still want to see the hate flow if that's uh, appropriate to the story. So I, I'm excited by that possibility. Again, if it uh, helps tell this story of yeah. uh, Kenobi in the desert, leaving the desert. Love it. Yeah. So great question, Scott. Thank you so much. Uh, this is some of my, my favorite parts of Star Wars to talk about so thanks for that opportunity we got some other great questions as well this comes from shakes 2000 on twitter and shake says do you think it would be cool if the first force users were actually the sith or darksiders it is the easy path after all ken what do you think do you think the first time that uh, somebody truly managed to tap into the force and understand it they're like hey it's great i found this thing that we can use to kill and take things yes yes it will be cool (laughs) End statement. No, Shakes 2000. This is great. I, I, I'm looking at this. I'm like, let's let's have the original sin of Star Wars. Let's have uh, you know Cain and Abel sitting down in a field, and one says, "Wait, I can I can use this power to kill you." Bum bum, and suddenly maybe now we need to the light side needs to form up to defend from the dark. Like, okay, I don't know what story we get this in the 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 higher the higher Republic. I don't know. I, I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. I think this is just just such a great philosophical uh, question as well as sort of a uh, practical question within the sort of lore of Star Wars. I think Shakes 2000 makes a great point of it It is the easy path. Uh, But I think for myself, I like the story idea. And I I know that there in lots of different versions of canon, this has been, you know, dabbled in, uh, discussed. Um, But I like the idea if there was going to be modern canon storytelling about that that light that people who are curious about I have this connection to this other thing I need to meditate I need to understand it and that they would come to see both the natural light and dark uh, much like Luke's um, guiding of Ray for her to just understand the little microcosm of the island just naturally on the island there's the light and the dark there is a birth and joy and then there's pain and death and sadness and rebirth and that that is the the way of things the way of the force. I love the idea that there'd be people who see that, understand all that and go, oh, if I'm going to be connected to all that, my job is to just sort of uh, preserve it and be in harmony with it, which is, I think, what the light side is. It makes sense to me that that would be the first approach. And then once some, once uh, light siders had done all that work to understand it and to sort of uh, build language and beliefs around it that other people could use, then somebody else would come along and go, What's the fast version of this to get what I want? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's something about that that just makes sense. I think that is sometimes, you know, the, the way things happen, in, in my opinion, in the real world of somebody creates a very nuanced uh, and, and heartfelt approach to something and then somebody else comes along and goes, what's the fast way <laughs> for me to do what, what you said but get stuff out of it, you know, is uh, a little bit of real world dark side. I love it. Star Wars, the original sin coming soon to a theater near you or <laughs> you on Disney plus. Yeah. Great question. Shakes. We're going to move on to our questions from Patreon. Uh, the first one from comes from Jonathan Curti. Jonathan uh, has uh, some thoughts followed up by a real fun question. So here we go. The sequel trilogy is not necessarily bursting with references to the prequels, but there are quite a few fun things in there, especially in the rise of Skywalker. I mean, you get Mustafar, the unnatural abilities quote and cloning just in the first couple of minutes. As I was in the mindset of com- combing through the sequels for prequel references, 
I had a fun and silly idea that crossed my mind. If you could use the casts of these two trilogies and recast each trilogy's actors into the other's roles, uh, which actors would you place where? It is fun for me to think about casting such as uh, Max von Sydow, rest in peace, as Dooku, Hayden Christensen as Hux, Andy Serkis as Jar Jar, Lupita Nyong'o as Padme, and so many more. Ah, heck, might as well throw in the original trilogy too if that gets me a younger Billy D as Qui-Gon. A particularly fun question might be who to play Django and be the basis for the clone army. Excited to hear your thoughts and musings. Oh, we can muse. We're going to muse. Uh, Ken, uh, first I just want to tackle uh, Jonathan's direct question Yeah. of who would you cast as uh, Django uh, from the, what actor from, let me get this right, the sequel trilogy would you cast as Django in the prequels? I, I'm, I'm no hesitation. Oscar Isaac. No, no hesitation. Get Oscar Isaac in there. Uh, just, come on. Who doesn't want a, a thousand Oscars looking at your jacket with a lip bite? Like, let's do it. Uh, I'm good with that one. Yeah. You know what? Oscar Isaac is the first person who came to mind for me too. Like, yeah. that, you know, looking at, you know, his face and other people like, no, no, it looks good on you. <laughs> yeah. I'll be there for that. Yeah, I don't know why. The charm, the charm just works. Uh, and then to, th- look, this could be uh, eight hours, the the fun games of, of moving actors from one sequel to uh, your one trilogy to other characters. But do you have any uh, sequel actors as prequel characters or prequel actors as sequel characters that spring to mind for you? Yeah, you know, look, I'll, I'll do a couple of big ones and I, I got one small one here. Uh, big ones, you know, and feel free to, I know, you might grab the main cast too, but I, I'm taking John Boyega. I'm tossing him back and having him be a younger Obi Wan type or young Obi Wan. Uh, uh, oh, in Phantom Menace era, yeah, yeah. And then gets to grow over that, gets the saber, and gets to gets to take that story that way. And then I was like, all right, we all love Darth Maul. It's Darth Maul. We love Darth Maul. Who would I want to be Darth Maul? And I'm like, <laughs> come on, Daisy Ridley. <laughs> Oscar in there. All those staff skills she picked up. Uh, give her a two-sided lightsaber, the one that everyone wanted her to have, and make her the new Darth Maul. It, you know, it is it is just uh, not the will of the Force, but the will of uh, double-bladed lightsabers that Daisy Ridley played Darth Maul. Those are great. Yeah, and then my uh, yeah, smaller one, you know, I love Moden Kennedy, Captain Kennedy, Mark Lewis Jones, Shaga, who loves axes from Game of Thrones. Um, I will uh, take Mark Lewis Jones and I'll put him in the prequel era as Chancellor Valor. Oh, that's really good. I like that one a lot. Yeah, yeah this is uh, this is so much character actor fun. Uh, yeah. it, honestly, Jonathan did like a really great job with some of the the big swings. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, I I went to some smaller places for sequel actors as prequel characters. Uh, Mark Hamill as Dexter Jetster. I just I think that would be. <laughs> maybe it's the bulio i just i think mark hamill would really enjoy uh, doing that voice and uh and uh being having been on set to digitally hug uh, ewan mcgregor as obi-wan kenobi would be a hell of a thing um and then prequel actors as sequel characters uh so many options but this is where my mind went uh because i i love co bibble oliver ford davies as Beaumont Kin, I think, uh, in Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> we talk about Rick Ollier uh, blurting things out, but I don't think anybody beats uh, C.O. Bibble for uh, just blurting exposition. And, uh, and Beaumont Kin, you know, had that, had that weight on his shoulders. And I think Oliver Ford Davies talking about secrets only the Sith knew would be pretty great. 
look, I'm just going to say it. You know, if Kathleen Kennedy knew how to plan a movie franchise, it, it would have been Beaumont uh, Bibble. Like, come on. <laughs> come on. I'm going to get in my angry car right now. <laughs> it should have been Beaumont Bibble. Here is our four-hour YouTube video on it should have been Beaumont Bibble. <laughs> just for the fun of saying Beaumont Bibble. But who knows, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, Beaumont is, uh, is secretly a Bibble and he was uh, kept from his father or grandfather at birth. I, I look forward to hearing that epic tale. Absolutely. Great question, Jonathan. We could go on and on, but we're trying to wrap up, uh, this episode. So we're going to go on to our final question, uh, from Paul, the scout. Paul says a lot has been made about Almec stating that Jango Fett was not a Mandalorian. Now we see that he was in fact a foundling. So he was a Mandalorian by creed rather than by race. How do you see this revelation connecting to the recurring theme in Star Wars of finding belonging from shared values rather than from blood? And how do you see this theme continuing in the lives of Din Djarin and Grogu? Uh, as always, I, I like the caveat too when questions came in, uh, you know, before certain episodes. So uh, I think uh, Paul sent this in before the final episode of The Mandalorian, but I think everything in it is still uh, really worth uh, discussing. So, Ken, where do you go with these questions? What do you think about the uh, idea of shared values uh, versus blood in Mandalorian and, and what it might mean for Din and Grogu in the future? Yeah, and Paul always, uh, whether uh, Paul the Scout, Jedi Scout, he always got some great philosophical questions that he asks and, and ruminates on himself. So uh, this one makes me think... Um, and, and the idea, you know, especially with its uh, Din and, and Grogu, as they both go on to maybe be plugged into other organizations, beliefs, and uh, creeds outside of what they have discovered about themselves through themselves, what, it, what, how much do they take into it and how much are they willing to lose? And, you know, if Jin is a Jin, a Jin or so, is, and who is someone who, you know, found some shared values in others, um, if Din is is asked and decides to join a bigger fight for Mandalore or with Mandalorians or is the holder of the Darksaber and has to run with that for a little bit, as you and I have joked, you said, you know, him going around the galaxy saying, please take it, please take it, please take it. It's great. But, you know, is that is that part of this of just like, what are my values and and do I lose them? And, and, and or what changes and lo losing them is not even the, always the right way to look at it, but what grows uh, and how. Sometimes you might feel you have to be in a lane, blood, and now you can step outside of that lane for your betterment and the betterment of others. What will will any of that affect them is the question, and I, I don't know the answer right now, um, but I, I'm excited to explore that. Yeah, I think it, the episode is or the the final episode really poised the future of the Mandalorian uh, to really wrestle with some of these things. I, I think it's a great. There's a lot of great complexity i think that has been added by the mandalorian to our our larger understanding of uh of star wars and issues like who is and is not a mandalorian uh, i think it's a a great wrinkle that uh, the star wars story of found family is is often told in which i think is great in a joyful way of you know you don't need to be locked in by anything that predetermines you and if that's blood you know like we've got lots of bad guys who make the argument uh to heroes of you know your blood and your heritage lock you in and you don't have a choice you're gonna do these things and you know we, we've seen characters struggle against that and say no i'll choose uh where i go and and that is represented in a positive way by found family I'll, I'll choose my own identity i'll choose my own journey i'll choose my found family i really like this wrinkle that there's many beautiful things said about found family 
in The Mandalorian. But also now that we know that that Din, you know, was in this found family of the children of the watch and was maybe told some not helpful things that he's yeah. going to have with the armor, uh, possibly some baggage and want to push back against that element of his found family is, is a great uh, uh, making that idea of found family in Star Wars even more complex. Um, the other thing, I think uh, a couple other things that, that I get real excited about uh, from, from this question is I just, I really love that what the Mandalorian show is presenting to us right now is uh, different Mandalorians have different opinions about who is a Mandalorian and right. why. And just that little bit we get uh, about Django that mm. from Din was a foundling. So that is his creed and he honors that and he respects that and he understands that he has that perspective. So when Boba says, uh, my father was a foundling too, that's good enough for Din is the way I interpret that. But that still even leaves the great ambiguity of, well, did did Django take a specific creed? You know, do do if Django was in the Mandalorian Civil War and is war, more on the side of creed and warrior way versus Satine and the new Mandalore, does did that mean in some people's eyes that those people rebelled? <laughs> They're not Mandalorians now. Like that, there's lots of just great juicy complexity about who is a Mandalorian, and you know, I think. Like the thing that the Mandalorian is telling us is there are many different opinions. Like Star Wars, TM, mm -hmm. trademark, is not telling us who is and is not a Mandalorian. They're presenting us characters who debate what makes you a Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, that's stuff. And I, you know, I talk about changing and, and uh, loosing or growing. It's, it's, it, that's something that's interesting too. Just what, what can Din take? from how he was raised in the armor and, and and I so agree with you and you you and I are you and I love the armor as a character but now we're kind of looking at it in different light but it's not completely negative yet for me nor <laughs> should it be just like what can he take from that what can he then uh, grow into with others around him and and take their point of view and their opinions and and this shared values like like Paul the scout points out like how can you fit into that? And, and, uh, and I love it when, you know, we run up against those rigid folks uh, and this is the ways starts out pretty rigid as much as a fun catchphrase it's become sometimes used more than the forces with you or the force be with you. Um, you know, uh, how, how, how do you not lose yourself, but grow? And, and that's something I want star Wars to continue to ask and, and, and not quite specifically answer, but let us think about it ourselves. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think uh, I think if Obi-Wan was able to just uh, sit down and have a drink with Din, he'd be like, you should say these are the ways. <laughs> we both did it at the same time, didn't we? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that I think that is a part of the storytelling of this is the way is such a cool line. And from, you know, one perspective, it truly can be like, I have found my path. I have questioned it. I am certain of it. I am certain of the way. Or it can be like like when Din just flies away from, uh, you know, Bo Katan going. This is the way. <laughs> Bye. Period. Yeah. yeah this, is the way. this is the way. Not going to question anything. Uh, yeah. And I think going forward, you know, we we it's it's fun to be in, in a place of just pure speculation because we don't know what's mm -hmm. going to happen next with Din. We don't know what, if anything, is going to happen next with Din and Grogu. But I I think that Din and Grogu will come together again, partially because of questions like this that. Mm -hmm. Because Din, for better or worse, filters the world through the idea of, of creed, of found family and creed, 
that he approaches Grogu that way too. And Jedi is just a, it's a creed to him. And, and, you know, there was never any, (laughs) uh, but this Luke guy is not small and green. It was just, he's a Jedi. He is of your creed. He, Mm -hmm. you know, you belong with him. And that's going to be really interesting when, and if, uh, Grogu and Din come back together again of, you know, what does the creed of Jedi mean to Grogu, you know, and, and how does how does uh, Din's perspective on creed evolve from that moment? Uh, yeah, just listening to you talk, um, I, I have this image of the last episode is just, uh, you know, Din and, and Grogu uh, walking, you know, hand in hand, uh, you know, father and son, leaving it all to form the new way. Uh, the the, the Mudhorn uh, gang uh, walks away from it all. Uh, Jon Snow going north. I don't know. There's something. Uh, I'll, I'll wait for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the final thing I'll say about this, which uh, is just kind of a, a, a big thing about Mandalorian, a thing that I've really appreciated is it does wrestle with these big ideas but then episode by episode it, it seems to really reinforce a, a straightforward uh talk to the person next to you look at the small community you're in and really deal with things moment by moment issue by issue and help the person next to you yeah yeah good way to look. yeah it's nice <laughs> I like it when nice things are nice. Uh, so those are our questions. Uh, thanks, Paul, Jonathan, Shakes, and Scott. All great stuff. Absolutely. We appreciate you reaching out, supporting, and being part of the conversation. You can find us on Twitter at Force Center Pod. We are on Instagram and YouTube as well. Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. Podcast available on spots like Anchor, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Amazon Music. You can get some merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. You can go to audibletrial.com slash Force Center like we uh, always say every week, but don't forget to uh, check out the offer that the great folks at Inside Editions have for you. You can go there to insideeditions.com slash discount slash FC35 and use that code FC35 and get 35% off across their website. Check that out. We really, truly do love the stuff they put out. Uh, We wouldn't be working with them otherwise. You can support us directly at patreon.com slash force center as always we really appreciate when you when you tell friends about us or spread the word or retweet that really helps uh we love what we're doing here and we love growing the force center community you can follow me at ken knapsack or go to kennapsock.com for more information on all the things i'm doing including the new production company and digital brand coming soon in 2021 called the good people association bringing entertainment to the good people of the earth as we try to find the good joseph yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw, and you can go to my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for all my other comedy adventures, my other podcast, Obsessed, and some comedy albums. And in particular, right now on the front of my website, there is a link to a New Year's Eve show. I love New Year's Eve. I love doing shows. So I'm doing an online show with my friends, uh, the Double Clicks, and some other great comedy and music guests. It's going to be a lot of comedy, a lot of music, a live comedy role-playing game that I'm going to run, all sorts of fun, festive stuff for New Year's Eve. So if you're interested in that, you can check it out on my website, josephscrimshot.com. Absolutely. One of my favorite words to say because it's positive and agrees and also moves us forward. Thank you, <laughs> everybody. I'm in a weird mood and it was so good to talk Star Wars with you, Joseph. And so good to share the story with all the Force Center listeners. Um, I'm going to go on to process some stuff during a, a sad week, but also a celebratory week. 
uh, as I uh, try to always look at uh, chapters and losses and changes as a reason to uh, grow and move forward and celebrate that change in face of great pain. I hope anyone out there listening going through uh, this tough year or any loss as well knows you have a friend here in the Force Center family. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. This was Force Center. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.